All right, we return this evening to our, our study of the last words of Moses. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 30 this evening, and our sermon text is going to be Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. So beginning at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, listen now to the word of God. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word tonight. Uh, There's a phrase that's used by Arminians in evangelism sometimes. You've probably uh, heard it before. They will speak of making a decision for Christ. And as a Calvinist, when I hear that phrase, I I cringe. uh, Because I know where the Arminian is coming from when he says that. Uh, Arminian Christians really are are children of the Enlightenment. They kind of show up around 1700. Uh, And Arminian theology really is designed to to honor the Enlightenment ideal, the individual man's self-determination as a rational being. It's not just kings and nobles, but every man. In society, he was intelligent, should be free to make up his own mind and follow his chosen course. Uh, that's, that's the spirit of the French and the American revolutions, right? Which are enlightenment-fueled uh, revolutions. Well, that's what this talk about making a decision for Christ is really about when we hear it from Arminians. And in their mouths, I do think it's a cringeworthy phrase, making a decision for Christ. But the Arminian error notwithstanding, I do ask uh, you Calvinists tonight, but is there not, in fact, a place for a choice in our theology, too? As good Calvinists, you might answer, yes, but it's not our choice, it's God's choice. And in that, you'd be referring to God's eternal decrees of election and predestination. We are saved not by our choosing God, but by God's sovereignly choosing us before the foundation of the world in Jesus Christ. 
And to that I say, Amen. Certainly, it is ultimately God's choice and not ours that determines our fate. Uh, and happily, I might add, for us as believers. And it was not John Calvin, but the Apostle Paul, who said to the Christians in Ephesus, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So yes, in Calvinist theology, it is God's choice, not ours, that is exalted. But still, doesn't our theology also acknowledge the sinner's choice? The choice to believe in and follow Jesus Christ. I remind you as students of historic Calvinism that in God's eternal decrees of election and predestination, he chooses not only who will be saved and unto what end, but also in what way they shall be brought by God to that glorious end. And that way does involve a choice. Presented with Christ in the gospel, God's elect take up their cross to follow him, not by compulsion, but because by God's grace they want to. As the Westminster Confession of Faith says in its chapter on the effectual calling of the Spirit, God's elect come to Christ most freely, being made willing by His grace. A choice is implied in every expression of the gospel in Scripture. It's either the broad way or the narrow way. Your choice. Build your house upon the rock or build it upon the sand. Your choice. Sell all to follow Jesus or go away sad. Believe the good news and receive Christian baptism or perish in your sins. That's the choice with which the gospel, which the gospel continuously sets before us and before us all. And I can say certainly I've felt that in my own life, Calvinist though I am, I remember sitting at my, my kitchen table with the Bible open before me. I've been backed into a, a corner by God's word and I was contemplating a grave choice in my life, either, as I understood it, stop playing games and become a disciple of Jesus Christ in earnest with all the sacrifices that that entails, or renounce God altogether as an avowed atheist and be done with the Bible. And at that critical moment, as I recollect it, I definitely chose Christ. He was calling, and I came, not against my will, but because that's what I wanted and what I decided to do. And in the story of my life, that choice has made all the difference. So here, in Moses' address to Israel in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, verses 15 and tw through 20 certainly feel climactic, I would say. As the second generation of Israel is preparing to cross the Jordan into Canaan, God's covenant is now before them. And as Moses said last Sunday, God has been perfectly clear in this covenant. And clearly, God is presenting Israel with a choice. And the choice is this. You can either worship and serve the Lord your God in the land, or you can turn aside to the worship of idols. You cannot do both. You will do one or the other, and the choice is yours. 
Just as clearly God's covenant says that worshiping and serving the Lord in the land of promise means obeying his commandments and walking in his way. And that's the narrow way. Whereas turning to the worship of idols would be to turn a deaf ear to the Lord and ultimately commit not just idolatry, but all of the abominations of the Canaanites. That's the broad way. God's covenant is also clear here in Deuteronomy 30 that this choice is consequential. It is this choice and no other which will determine how things go for Israel in the land for better or worse. And the Lord is perfectly clear here concerning the gravity of the choice with which Israel is now presented. It is, without exaggeration, the choice between life and death. In verse 15, Moses speaks of life and good. And the Hebrew word translated good implies prosperity and happiness. All of the blessings with which God promised to bless his people and his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob That's one faith on the table before Israel, represented by the words life and good. But you see there's another option as well, and what is that? Is it mediocre, suburban life? Not great, but not that bad either. The only other possibility for Israel here, besides life and good, is the opposite of that. As Moses says in the same verse, death and evil. So not prosperity, but adversity, not happiness, but misery, profound, abject misery in exile. So this is the most grave choice with which God has presented his people in the plains of Moab, and that's pretty clear. I can't imagine really how Moses could have been more clear. So I want to pause here to consider how God gave the same choice to other people in the Bible. We'll start with Adam in the Garden of Eden. The first man, Adam, was faced with the same choice, wasn't he? Given a divine commandment not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam could obey God, or he could disobey him. To obey was life, to disobey was death. That was made clear to Adam. And Adam made a terrible choice, a tragic choice. Heeding his wife, he disobeyed God, and we all now suffer for that. As Paul says in Romans 5.12, Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because of all sin. So it's interesting here in Deuteronomy 30 to see God in his covenant presenting Israel with the same choice with which Adam was presented. The law has been given to Israel. It's either now obedience or disobedience, and in that, either life or death. It's like the nation of Israel is a corporate Adam under the Mosaic Covenant, and the fate of all nations hangs in the balance as Israel considers its choice. And of course, you know the history of Israel in the Bible. They failed in the same way that Adam failed. Eventually, the Israelites did turn to idols, transgressed God's laws, broke his covenant, and brought upon themselves and their children a very familiar curse, and that is exile or banishment. Just as God cursed sinful Adam with death and drove him out of the garden, so God will likewise curse sinful Israel and drive the people out of Canaan and into Babylonian exile. 
So that's Adam. Now let's think about Jesus. We come to the New Testament in the Bible, and early in Matthew's Gospel, you'll find Jesus, whom Paul later calls the last Adam, and he's faced with the same choice as well. He's been driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and Satan is tempting Jesus there with, quote, all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, if Jesus will only fall down and worship him. But rather than listening to Satan and falling for his lies, Jesus instead rebukes and drives the serpent away, saying in Matthew 4.10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Now where exactly is that written, you think? It's written in the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus was quoting Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 14, to be precise. Same law, same test. But faced with the same fateful life and death choice as the first Adam, and Israel as corporate Adam, Jesus Christ as the last Adam made a very different choice. The right choice, the heroic choice. And for God's elect as Christ's seed, that has made all the difference. As our covenant head, his obedience and faithfulness, even unto death, is to us the gift of life and good in him. But again, that Jesus Christ's choice to heed God and not the serpent, to worship God and not a usurper, to do his Father's will as an obedient son and not the will of Satan, That the last Adam's choice is our salvation under the covenant of grace does not eliminate the choice with which God presents sinners in the gospel. So we have a choice too. It's still there. It still matters. And it matters as a God-appointed means to a God-appointed end. As I thought about that choice the choice with which sinners are presented in the gospel, there seems to me to be both a a definitive and a continual choice to be made, similar to that with which Israel is presented here. Moses has repeatedly emphasized in this address, and he does so here again in verses 15 through 20, that what is to be done by Israel is to be done this day on the occasion of the covenant renewal. And the effect of their definitive choice in choosing the Lord as their God in the plains of Moab is something that will go with them into the land of Canaan and so into their future there. And likewise, there is in the life of God's elect a moment when they first truly hear God, believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation, and come to Him most freely and willingly. And that definitive moment of faith, God's elects do receive eternal life in the Son and the inheritance of all its blessings. But the choice to serve God that Israel made here on this day was also a choice that they would, in a sense, have to make continually every day hereafter, day after day after day in Canaan. And why is that? The answer is because the idolatry option never goes away in this world. It's always there, lurking in the high places in Canaan, saying to wavering Israelites, it's not too late, you know, 
can come on over, you can come on back, you can come on in. It's like the immoral woman in the book of Proverbs with her honeyed lips and perfumed bed. The adulteress never stops in her efforts to allure the weak and unwary. The same goes for a husband, right? He makes a definitive choice on his wedding day. One woman, one by his side to be his lawfully wedded wife. And there's a ring to signify his choice and witnesses were there to hear it, just as heaven and earth are here called upon in verse 19 to witness to Israel's covenant with God. But having made that choice and entered into that marriage covenant, the wedded husband must then continue to be faithful to his wife which is, in a sense, to choose her anew with every new day. Why? Because adultery is always an option in this world. The internet is open 24-7, and there are websites beckoning married men to go for it, whispering to them in their weakness that it's not too late. And so likewise, while we may have made a decision for Christ at some critical moment in our past, And truly receive life and salvation in Jesus Christ in that moment. That decision is only truly made by continuing to make it. Again and again. And that's what the Lord's Supper is, perhaps. While our Lord is away in heaven, it is a way in which we as Christians on earth reaffirm a choice we've already made. Saying to Christ and to one another that it is still our choice. With the Broadway exit ramp always there, we choose to stay in the narrow way. We still accept God's terms. We take the bread and the cup from Jesus' hand in affirming our definitive and continual choice of Him and in this way choose life. Life in Jesus Christ our Savior and all its good. So my exhortation to you tonight in the spirit of Moses is simply choose well. It's something, isn't it, to think that one choice in life could matter so much. I mean everything, really. There's a sort of helpful simplicity in that, but also a solemn and even awful gravity. It's sort of like taking a course in college and learning that there will only be one exam, the final exam. And you sit down to, to take your exam, you open it up, and you find that there's only one question. On the exam and it's a true or false question just two boxes and you get to choose one consider it well because plainly it's all or nothing and that's the pressure and here in the plains of Moab we're not talking about a college course and a few credits this is truly the choice between life and death with which God is presenting us but I want you to know these two things about the God who presents you with this choice First, God is not indifferent whether you pass or fail. He genuinely wants you to pass, and He says so. We hear that in His sending a prophet to Israel in Ezekiel 33, 11, where He says, quote, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn back from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So there should be no doubt what God wants, even as he presents us with a choice. He wants us to live and pleads with us, therefore, to choose life. But the second thing about God that I want you to understand 
is that not only does he want us to pass this test, he gives us the answer. Two boxes on the exam, and God says, choose life. And this one's life. The other one is death and evil. Don't choose that one. I don't want that, neither do you. So choose life, this box. Do it now, and do it always. So that's the kind of proctor God is. With him in the room, it's impossible to fail, that is, if you listen to him and trust him and do what he says. What's the one great choice in life? The one which is truly the choice between life and death, good and evil. Other choices feel like that sometimes, but only one really is. It's not whether you go to college or not. Or if you do, which college you choose and which major. It's not which career you pursue. Where you live, whether you get married, and to whom. Make a foolish decision at any of these junctures. You'll suffer for that. Fools suffer for their foolishness. But even so, you can stumble here and there and get back on your feet eventually and be okay. But there's one wrong choice in life from which you cannot recover. And that is the choice ultimately to walk away from Jesus Christ, whom God offers to you in the gospel. To worship some other God that other people worship. Make that choice in your life and only death and evil can follow. This great choice is before you now. As Christians and God's covenant people, it's a choice you'll make today and you'll make it again tomorrow and the next day and every day of your life. Just like a married man. And the background is all that we as Calvinists know about God's sovereignty and election, the sufficiency of Christ and the cross and the effectual working of the Holy Spirit in regeneration and sanctification. We see and understand all that. But still, God in the gospel does speak to you, as he does to us all, as a rational human being with a will and a choice before you. It's unmistakable. And the choice is crystal clear. Because God in his mercy has made it clear. Like Moses here in the plains of Moab, it is Jesus Christ the Son, as the great mediator of God's covenant, who is pleading with us now on behalf of his Father. You can get other things wrong in the land and be okay. You can buy the wrong ox, you can plow the wrong field, you'll survive mistakes like these. But you can't get this one wrong and live. So think clearly and choose well. Choose Jesus Christ for your Savior and take up your cross to follow Him. Because of His faithful choice at Calvary, this is to choose life and all its good. Shall we pray? Oh Lord God, we thank you that you are so plain with us where we need you to be plain. And thank you, Lord, for the choice that you set before us yet again. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, by uh, the blessing of your almighty spirit, Lord, uh, may we uh, who have professed faith in Christ uh, and have come now many times uh, to commune with you at the Lord's table, uh, never turn back again into the way of, of death and evil. We pray, Lord, keep us in the narrow way. Uh, keep us, Lord, faithful to you, our God who is faithful to us always. In this coming week, Lord God, uh, may we make it our uh, objective with each new day uh, to 
to bow our heads, to lift up our eyes unto heaven uh, in whatever way that we can uh, most effectively, Lord God, uh, look to you, seek your face, cry out to you. Uh, may we, Lord God, with real intentionality, um, as a necessary further step in our Christian life, uh, receive Jesus Christ for our salvation and commit ourselves to, to follow him uh, in our lives. We pray, God, in this way, may you, according to your eternal decree, by your almighty power and your grace to us in Jesus, uh, keep us in him in order that we might be brought safely to you in the end. We thank you, Lord God, for, uh, for this encouragement on this good Lord's Day. Blessed be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.